reports this afternoon that former reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner is exploring a run for governor. There is a definite increase in juveniles with guns in hand. Police tell us two girls in their early teens carjacked him at gunpoint. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson vetoed a controversial bill that would ban gender-affirming care for transgender minors. In the past 12 months, divorce rates, they've skyrocketed across the country. One of the main reasons, issues brought on during the pandemic. 450 arrests, 51 of those felonies. 39 people were rescued and are now receiving care to free them from the world of human trafficking. In case you haven't noticed, our nation is in a mess. Marvel is introducing its first openly gay Captain America. Disney is cracking down on Peter Pan, Dumbo, and Swiss Family Robinson. They're going to add kid filters and warning labels. By the way, have any of you seen those Disney movies? Grace Church Prep School. Did you hear what I said? Grace Church Prep School issued a 12-page guide that encourages students to stop using the words mom, dad, and parents. A Canadian father faces five years in prison. What was his crime? Calling his daughter a girl. By the way, the Equality Act in America would cause similar insane applications of all this LGBTQ requirements. A California bill now proposes removing cops who express religious or conservative beliefs. They're a threat to society. The president signed an executive order on his first day in office that attempted to eliminate discrimination on the basis of gender identity. So girls in women's sports, restrooms, and locker rooms are open to males. In Virginia now, students have access to whichever bathroom matches the gender they assert they are. Say, so what does that mean? That means a male can say he's a female, and he can go into any girl's restroom, any girl's locker room, any girl's shower, and not one thing could be done about it. The NCAA basketball tournament. March Madness became just that, as a feature in USA Today had the headline, Oral Roberts University isn't the feel-good March Madness story we need. Now, they were a great team. They beat Ohio State. They beat Florida. Before they were called out, and what were they called out for? The high biblical standards of the university. And now that disqualifies you from playing in the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament? Noted pastor and author Michael Youssef has written a new book called Hope for This Present Crisis. Here's what he said, quote, Like the COVID-19 virus, this present crisis is spreading invisibly throughout our society. It affects, it affects every one of us, though most of us are completely unaware of it. Simply put, this present crisis is the decline of influence of the Christian church. All across America and Europe, churches are emptying, and an entire generation is turning away from God. People today have many gods, money, pleasure, politics, the environment, but they no longer acknowledge the God of the Bible. 
The devaluing of the family and human life has led to countless abortions and fewer marriages and more empty cradles. Social scientists who once warned of a population explosion now warn of a population implosion as birth rates are declining disastrously in Western nations. The traditional values and social bonds that once held our society together are disintegrating, along with traditional Christian-based morality. Addiction, suicide, and crime are epidemic in Western society. The internet and social media, once thought to be bringing the world together, have unleashed humanity's most hateful, sinful urges, dividing people into warring tribes. This is our present crisis. Not an external threat from terrorists or warlike nations or a viral pandemic, but a decline of faith, truth, and morality, and it is hollowing out our society from within. End quote. According to the latest Gallup poll, the majority of Americans no longer belong to a place of worship. For the past six decades, it has fluctuated between 68 and 76 percent. Now it's below 50. Got your attention yet? Some people outside the church have a better handle on what's happening than most Christians. Like popular author and motivational speaker Larry Winget, who said, and I quote, our government is a mess. It's too big, it costs too much, and for the most part, it's ineffective. But it's not just government. Businesses are a mess too. Many have forgotten that businesses exist to fill a need, solve a problem, serve their customers well, and be profitable while doing it. A strong work ethic in employees has become a thing of the past. Too many leaders confuse leadership with popularity. Families are no exception either. Too many parents are indulgent, overprotective, and don't communicate or teach morals, ethics, or values. They are raising narcissistic brats who have no respect for others or even for themselves. And while the economy is a mess in our country, it's simply a reflection of the disastrous way we handle our own money as individuals and in our families. He goes on to say individuals blame instead of taking responsibility. They rationalize their behavior. They're personally offended by almost everything, even when it has nothing to do with them. They demand things, believing they're entitled to them instead of earning them. Colleges have become bastions of uber-liberal ideas that charge exorbitant amounts of money to nurture oversensitivity instead of challenging thinking and encouraging growth, end quote. But here's the statement that really caught my attention. Some of us wake up every day and read or watch the news and barely recognize the world we live in. And some of us never read anything and only watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians or The Bachelor or some other drivel and are totally clueless about the world we live in, end quote. Now, is that because people just don't care anymore? Or they're too busy? Popular local radio talk show host Mark Davis said, quote, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are the most morally repulsive shows in the history of television. Millions who enjoy the fun of witnessing this mockery of relationships and courtship and marriage need to take a hard look in the mirror, end quote. 
What does God have to say about all this? You know, James said the, the Word of God, the Bible, is like a mirror. And he said we dare not look at it and, and walk away and forget what we've just seen. In other words, to have a quiet time in the morning is wonderful, but if you read the Word of God and then go out and just forget what you've just read, it's a waste of time. If you come to church and hear a message from the Word of God and say, oh, that's, that's powerful stuff, and yet walk out the door and live your life completely different, that's wrong. The Word of God is a mirror. We can't just be hearers of the Word. We have to be doers of the Word, or we are deceiving ourselves and are allowing ourselves and everything around us to be destroyed. So what does the mirror have to tell us? Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 11, and I want to read all seven verses. Psalm chapter 11, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Now, I know some of you are probably saying, well, now this is weird. You know, we're having problems today in 2021, and the pastor's taking us all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. No, God is taking us all the way back to the book of Psalms. This whole book is the Bible, not just the New Testament, not just the red parts. This whole book is the Word of God. And you're going to be surprised how Psalm chapter 11 deals with everything I just told you. Verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge, David writes, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright at heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, His eyes see His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. You may be seated, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, some background to our text. David's life can be summed up in four stages. Number one, in the country, when he was a shepherd boy. Number two, in the court, when he was a servant to Saul, the king. Number three, in the cave, when he was on, his, on the run as a fugitive from Saul. And then number four, when he was in charge as the king of Israel. Now, this psalm was written during the second stage of David's life, when he was serving in Saul's court after slaying Goliath. That is when scholars believe he wrote this psalm. He was married to Saul's daughter, Michal. He became extremely close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul had no more loyal servant than David, but the nation cheered louder for David than for the king, and the heart of King Saul became fertile soil for fear, suspicion, and paranoia. It's the perfect psalm for those who find themselves in a crisis and are tempted to run away and hide. Notice, first of all, what he faced, verses 1 to 3. He starts right up front saying he trusted in the Lord, but he was still hearing these voices inside his own head telling him to run. Why do you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? 
Every one of you knows those voices. I do too. What a picture of what fear does to us. Run for your life. Hide. Get away from it. But that advice is for the birds, not for believers. We can't say we trust in the Lord and then run from our problems or try to fly away from our fears. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll make your paths straight. But trusting in the Lord does not mean we won't have troubles in the world. Verse 2, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. The bow and arrow has been often called the coward's weapon because the person can conceal himself and destroy another person without his victim ever knowing where the shafts come from. And that's still happening in America to some extent. But we are also facing a full frontal assault on the family and on our faith like no other time in the history of our world. The enemies of the family and the enemies of Christianity don't even attempt to hide their hate or hide their agenda anymore. And I've just had this little parenthetical thought, I don't think Christians ought to be hiding either. I think we ought to be standing. I think we ought to be declaring. I think we ought to be being bold. I think we ought to be courageous. I think we ought to be speaking. I think we ought to be doing everything we can, just like they do. I've lived my whole life this way. I'll never start a fight, but I'll never walk away from one either. Things we used to take for granted are gone now. They're gone. Do you you hear what I'm saying? They're gone. We used to talk about it. I used to preach like this 30 years ago, and people thought I was nuts. I, I spoke one time on the college campus of where I was a student. I said, the day will come when there will be a homosexual stand on this platform and preach, and everyone will think there's not a problem with it. And people thought, you're nuts. That'll never happen. There is a Bible college right now that has embraced the whole wokeness and, and, and let's just accept everybody. They're doing it right now. It's happening in America. It's happening. We're no longer talking about something happening in Europe or happening in some foreign field somewhere. It's here. Society used to respect the church. Now they hate it. In fact, did you know that developers, when they used to develop a piece of property, they would save four or five acres to have a church there? Did you know that? You know why? Because a church was good for the neighborhood. Well, friend, I'll tell you, a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church is still good for a neighborhood, but developers aren't doing that anymore. And that's why David said in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Dr. Phillips said the word foundations comes from a Hebrew word meaning the settled order of things. David likens society to a building. The foundation of society is law and order, justice and truth. But if law and order and justice and truth are undermined in a society, then what can the righteous do? In the original text, the form of the question is such that David can find no answer. 
These are the very foundations which are being destroyed in Western society today. Law, order, truth, justice, morality, decency, integrity. Humanist and libertarian views prevail in our schools, our courts, and our government, and in the media. A determined attack is being mounted against everything decent, moral, and Christian in our society. The foundations are being destroyed to make room for the common reign of the man of sin, end quote. And that was written over three decades ago. It's worse now. The cry is still being heard today in almost every quarter. What can the righteous do? But not only what he faced, in the midst of his troubles, notice where he focused, verses 4 and 5. He looked up. In the midst of all of his troubles, he looked up and he said, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Does it seem like to you that sometimes God may no longer be on his throne? Do you find yourself saying, why, why, why would God ever allow this? Why doesn't God stop this? Why doesn't God intervene? Where is God? David looked up and he saw God in his holy temple on his throne. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to know, even though things in our world are out of control, I used to say they appear out of control. No, they're out of control. God's still in control. And at any time, he has one of two primary options that he could choose. One is revival. He could send revival. And by the way, he doesn't need anyone's permission or anyone's participation to send revival. That could be what he chooses. Or he could choose ruin. And this has got to be on the mind of every genuine believer. We could be approaching the time when God would send the rapture and remove the church from the face of the earth like the majority of the world seems hell-bent on achieving, and He could let the full force of evil have complete control of the earth, ushering in the coming of the Antichrist and all the horrors that will accompany His coming. And that could happen in the blink of an eye. But not only did David focus on what the Lord sits, where he sits, but also on what the Lord sees. You see that in verses 4 and 5? His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. David acknowledged God sees it all. He sees what it is doing. He sees who is doing it, and he is using it all for his purposes. You say, how in the world is that possible? Well, God uses the situations of life to test and try both the sinner and the saint at the same time. God puts men in the crucible to separate the dross from the silver. Verse 6, David also saw what the Lord sends. He said, on the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. One commentator said, and I quote, in the Old Testament, the outstanding example of God's wrath being outpoured was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment of the flood was more extensive, but the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah in the flaming fire was more intensive. Moreover, it is the Old Testament type of the judgment to come, judgment by fire. Peter talked about that. 
David could clearly see that sins which corrupt the very foundations of society simply cannot be ignored by God. And since he has pledged himself never again to drown the world in water, the next time he acts in summary judgment, it will be in flaming fire. End quote. Ladies and gentlemen, God will not be mocked. Sin will not be ignored. Evil will not prevail. The wicked shall not escape the judgment to come. In fact, the don't judge me culture will be caught in the inescapable storm of God's sovereign wrath and judgment. One final statement from David in verse 7, why he followed. With all the troubles around him, with all the trials, with all the tribulations, why did he keep putting God first? Why did he stay there? Why did he keep going? Why didn't he just quit? We found out this week about a major influencer in the Christian church on staff at Moody Bible Institute says he's no longer a Christian, walking away from it all. Now, friend, he didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. You don't do that. But that's what we're seeing. We're seeing major, major people that we've looked up to and gone to their concerts and read their books and sat in their churches and say, well, I just don't believe it anymore. They never did believe it. Why did David follow? Here is how David explains why he kept following instead of fleeing, why he remained faithful in trying times instead of trying to fly away from all the troubles. Here's what he said. He said, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. David said, in the midst of all this mess, there is one who is incomparably holy. There is one who is righteous. There is one who doesn't just do right. He is right. That's God. I'm sticking with him. I'm sticking with him. How about you? David said, God loves justice. There's a lot of injustice going on in our world. And don't be lulled into believing, oh, it's, it's been fixed. It's, it's better than it's ever been. I don't believe that at all. I think it's worse than it's ever been. The Bible doesn't predict things are going to get better and better and better and better and better and better. Read your Bible. It says it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then the end will come. But God is a God who loves justice. And one of these days, he'll right every wrong. You don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. God will right every wrong. One day God will balance the books and he'll settle every account once and for all. And people who thought they got away with it will find out they didn't get away with anything. No one's going to get away with anything. No one's going to game the system. No one's going to outsmart Almighty God. The final act of God's righteousness and justice will be to allow the redeemed to see his face, to be in his presence. It will be the crowning reward of glory in the end, to see God face to face. William Cowper wrote these lines decades ago. Ye fearful, fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread, 
are big with mercy and shall fall in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. God knows how it's all going to end up. And friend, if you read your Bible, you've got to have some clues, some indication of how it's going to end up. And you better decide which side you're going to stand on. So do family values matter anymore? I think they matter more now than they ever have. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You need to say that. If you're a Christian, you need to say that. And if you can't say that or you won't say that, you ought to go ahead and leave. Go ahead and admit it. I'm I'm really not all the way in. I've just been kind of playing around, pretending, posing. But friend, if you're a Christian... It's past time for you to let the world know. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. More than ever, what your family values matters more than it ever has. I'm thankful that I'm preaching to a crowd of people that church matters. That's a value. You're here. But some of you watching online, are you watching online because of health concerns or because it's gotten so easy you can just kind of watch it on a pad or an iPhone or a TV and you don't have to bother getting dressed or or go through all the other stuff to come to church? Don't let the devil drag you down. If you're sick and you can't be here, that's one thing. But if you're healthy and you're fine and you can go to a Ranger baseball game and sit with thousands of other people or you can go to a restaurant or you can go to Walmart or any of these other places, but you've excused yourself from coming to church, the devil's already got his rope around your neck and you don't even know it. And he's dragging you away from God and he's dragging you away from the Bible and he's dragging you away from all things holy and righteous. And you need to stop it. There are millions of people all around the world. This crisis has been used by the devil to pull them away from God. The statistics are very alarming. And someone needs to sound the alarm and ring the bell and say, stop this nonsense. You need to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Every one of us needs to say that. We need to go to the school board and say, as for us, we'll serve the Lord. We're not putting up with this nonsense anymore. Don't worry about what happens in Washington. Worry about what happens here. Get all upset, post on Facebook some rant and all that kind of stuff. You won't even go stand at your own kid's school to make sure they're not dragging his soul to hell. What is wrong with us? What your family values matters more now than it ever has. Righteousness, honor, truth, honesty, character, integrity, morality, holiness, putting God first. By the way, you know, if you put God first, all those other things will take care of themselves. That's the way it works. So what can we do to uphold these values in a culture that couldn't care less about them? Number one, we need to restore the family. We need to restore the family. We need to follow God's plan. One man for one woman for one lifetime. We don't need to go along to get along. We don't need to say, well, that was really cultural stuff in the Bible. No, Jesus said to the people in his day, have you not read? God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is God's plan. He hasn't changed his mind or his plan. 
And if we're going to restore the family, we've got to get back to that. Now, I know, I know I'll get emails, or there'll be people who quit the church because they have some relative or somebody in their family who's involved in, in absolute, abject sin against God, and they'd rather go stand with them than stand with God in His truth. And listen, if that has to happen, goodbye. Friend, listen, you, you just don't understand the lateness of the hour. The clock is not just ticking, it's racing. And we can't play anymore. We need to restore the family. Number two, we need to reignite the church. So what do you mean by that? I mean set the church on fire again. People ought to be fired up for God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will tell you this, the church that Jesus is building will survive all this junk. And by the way, that's the only church that will go to heaven Got churches all around America embracing all kinds of things contrary to the Word of God, claiming to be a church, claiming to love God and all that. They're not going to heaven. So how do you know that? The Bible says you can't mock God's Word and somehow, well, you know, we're, we're, God's just going to let us all come into heaven. No, that's not going to happen. Read what Jesus said. Many will enter the way of destruction, the broad road. Few will enter the narrow gate. You know, in a very real sense, these are the greatest days the church has ever witnessed. These are days of unprecedented opportunity. We ought to be more on fire for God now than any other time in our life. Why? Because the world is hellbound faster than they ever have, and they need the church. They need the truth. They need Jesus. And we need to be at our post, doing our best before He comes. Number three, we need to reestablish the truth. Our world is, I mean, common core math. Are you kidding me? Two plus two doesn't equal four anymore? Really? The, 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 I, I, I had to go to a doctor recently for a hearing issue I had, and, and, and they had a whole thing on there where I had to choose the gender or, or the pronoun I wanted, to be, I wanted them to use when they talked to me. And I counted them. There were 16 different pronouns. And only two I recognized that would apply to me. I thought, you got to be kidding me. See, the medical community, they're, they're, already, they're already down the road. They're, they're already all in with all this garbage. Say, Pastor, how do you stop that? Reestablish the truth. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to tone it down. We don't need to sugarcoat it. We don't need to compromise it. We need to teach it to a whole new generation who doesn't know, apparently, the Bible is true, every word of it. It's authoritative, it's inerrant, it's inspired. It is entirely the word of the living God, and we need to teach that to our families and teach that to everyone we can. I close with this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God, Paul said, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's popular, when it's not popular, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Some of you are sitting there today and you think the pastor's gone too far and said too much. Friend, listen, I haven't gone far enough and I didn't say all the things I should have said. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being offered, poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know what the modern-day Christian church people are saying? I've enjoyed the cruise. Come join us. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Friend, we need to get back to the Bible. This is not a time to bury our head in the sand. This is a time to lift high the word of life, to fight the good fight of faith, and stand up for Jesus in a world that can't stand him. Because you know why? Before you know it, he's going to come back. Let's pray.